and welcome to the LMA Podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to this Legal Marketing Association Podcast. I'm Jill Weber, the 2017 LMA President, as well as Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer at Stinson Leonard Street. Today, we are going to be talking about ways you can help your firm succeed with industry-focused collaboration. I am thrilled to have Dr. Heidi Gardner join us for this podcast. Dr. Gardner is a distinguished fellow in the Center on the Legal Profession at Harvard Law School and the faculty chair of Harvard Law School Executive Education's Sector Leadership Masterclass for Firm Leaders and the Accelerated Leadership Program for Law Firm Partners. She was previously on the faculty at Harvard Business School. Dr. Gardner has also been awarded an International Research Fellowship at Oxford University's Said Business School. She is the author of Smart Collaboration, How Professionals and Their Firms Succeed by Breaking Down Silos. Heidi, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So to get us started, I'd really like to ask you how you define the elements of an effective industry sector strategy. I think we as law firm marketers often talk about industry areas of focus within our firms. And while many of us promote industry expertise on our websites, you have a more client-focused approach to industry sectors. Can you share that with us? I'd be delighted to. I think that all law firms, when they're considering their approach to industry sectors, should really keep the client front and center, as they do whenever they're approaching the market. And we do continuous research, uh, we being uh, myself and my uh, research team behind me, we're constantly talking to clients of, and those range from general counsel to C-suite executives to board members. And what we increasingly hear is that across that spectrum, and and these range across a whole variety of different kinds of organizations, publicly traded and privately held and governmental and so forth, all of them increasingly ask for, and I'm hearing more and more demand, that the advice that they get from their outside lawyers is customized to the kinds of problems that they specifically are facing. I think a lot of people have heard the, the phrase coming from a, a general counsel, something like, I don't have a legal problem, I have a business problem. And the business problem that they have more or less is defined by the industry that they're in. I mean, another way to think about it is if you meet somebody at an event, whether it's a networking event, a professional association, or a, a cocktail party, and you ask them, what do you do for a living? There are very few people who are going to respond with something like, well, I of legal expertise in the domain of ABC. I I mean, people just don't think of their job and their role like that. Instead, what most people will say in response to the what do you do for a living question is say something like, I'm in software or I'm in insurance or I work for an oil and gas company or a bank or whatever. So people's identity is often wrapped up with the industry that they work in. Their problems are defined that way. And therefore, as lawyers approach their clients, they should be keeping that in mind in terms of the identity and the need for customization. That's a great point to emphasize of how we have to keep the client front and center, what we call within LMA, the voice of the client that is so important for legal marketers to bring to their firms. 
you've really described for us that business case or why we should um, undertake industry sectors. The challenge, of course, moving forward for a legal marketer is how you move forward. And I wonder if you could share with us um, a law firm you may have worked with that has successfully implemented an industry sector approach. I know you work with many law firms and recognize the need to maintain confidentiality, but would there be a case study that you could share with our listeners? Absolutely. I mean, I work in different capacities with law firms all around the world. Some of those are advisory roles and some of them are research roles. And uh, I don't think any law firm has nailed this completely, but certainly there are some law firms that are further along in the journey. And there's some common elements that I see toward making an industry or sector approach more successful. First of all, I think it's absolutely essential that you've got commitment straight from the top of the law firm. The managing partners or CEOs have got to be 100% behind this effort, and their conviction has got to be, I'll say it again, driven by client need. They need to, to be able to convincingly talk to their partners and say, listen, just you know, yesterday I was sitting across the table from a general counsel who's asking for customized expertise, and that's why we are headed in this direction. And, uh, and so you start with the commitment from the top that is driven by uh, an external client-focused uh, perspective. Then I think, you know, following that leadership theme, they've got to appoint committed and capable leaders to head their industries. Now, I see a couple of options in terms of how the industry approach is structured inside a law firm. In some of the firms that I work with, they maintain their classic matrix. So they still have an office and a uh, a practice group structure with their practice groups, you know, along the lines of traditional legal disciplines. And uh, and what they tend to use then is an industry approach as their go-to-market organization, which is really an overlay, almost a third dimension on the matrix. And the industry leader then um, is appointed, you know, let's uh, take, say, uh, hospitality as an example. And you've got a hospitality sector leader who is in charge of, nominally, in charge of pulling together a committed, accountable team of other partners from various practice groups who are bringing the disciplinary knowledge to to bear to create something that is more um, integrated and customized and holistic uh, as an approach to some of the complex problems that that you know any of their hospitality clients are facing. And I think you know those two leadership angles, leadership from the top and leadership uh, of the of the industry group itself are absolutely essential. You know, all too often what we see in law firms, you know, similar to what happens in some other kinds of professional firms like audit or consulting, is that practice group leaders are often appointed because of their book of business, you know, and they're, they're seen as highly credible rainmakers, they're seen as experts in their domain, but they're not necessarily appointed because they're the best leaders, and they may not even be that motivated to spend the time on the strategic planning, on marshalling the resources, on motivating you know, the, the, the team that's required to pull this together. I think when you're looking at an industry group or a sector leader, it's essential that you have somebody who is truly a great leader because they don't have much authority at all. If this is a, a dimension that cuts across these other formal structures in, you know, sort of P&L lines and reporting lines and so forth inside a firm, you've really got to have somebody who can exert influence, um, who can motivate, 
who can set direction and so forth. And I think those two are absolute fundamentals when it comes to uh, creating a successful industry uh, approach. Now, then I think there are some other nuts and bolts that have to be in place in order for an industry approach to really take off. One of them is uh, a budget and resources. I think, you know, what we have seen from some analysis that we've run inside some of the firms that are more successful is that industry groups take some time to get off the ground. Early on in the first stage of their formation, they need to have the, the, the latitude and a bit of slack to spend time to set strategy, to meet as a group, to understand trends in the, in the industry and figure out what resources they've got in-house that are going to, they're going to be able to pull together in this uh, sophisticated way to address industry, uh, uh, industry dynamics and so forth. And, and that takes time and the firm has got to be willing to, to make the investment in the non-billable hours for that kind of organization um, and planning to take off. Beyond that then, you know, kind of the next phase is when the successful industry groups are going to be pivoting. They're going to start to spend more of their time in the market. They're going to be deploying some of those holistic solutions, the multidisciplinary solutions that cut across practice lines or jurisdictions. And they'll start to make a name for themselves out in the market um, as an, you know, as a set of industry experts who bring something really special. Again, the firm has got to put some resource behind this and helping to keep them current in um, in uh, allowing them the, the the budgets that they need to whether it's you know host events or develop thought leadership and put out the white papers and so forth and that level of commitment in terms of a, a financial and time commitment is absolutely essential you know as I said most of these people are engaging in a sector approach above and beyond um, what they might be doing in uh, you know in their day-to-day -day client work and for them to launch it and make the investment personally, they've got to feel secure that this is not only a high priority, but that the firm is willing to put its money where its mouth is. Those are great points, especially what you mentioned about the commitment from the top, which I agree is so critical that we need the buy-in from the leadership of the firm, as well as I love that, that description, committed and capable leaders is such a wonderful phrase. So as I think about the legal marketers who would be listening to this podcast, they, I know, would be very compelled with what you have shared with them. But as I think about the how-to, if I'm going back to my firm, how do I get that commitment from the top? What would you think are kind of three things that law firm marketers could do to help communicate this, to educate their firm leadership, to embrace this? Because obviously having a, all of the firm organized in a better industry approach in multiple ways will take some time to get up to speed. What are the three most practical things they could do to get started today? The first thing I think, and you know, you'll forgive me, I'm a bit of a nerd, right? I like numbers and I like evidence and data, but I think that that's where uh, a lot of people in the professional marketing side can have such an advantage inside their firm is they also understand numbers and how to take numbers and make them speak and tell a story. So that's the first thing I would say is let's get the evidence and the data in place for why this is important. You know, in my book, Smart Collaboration, we spend a whole, a whole chapter building the business case for collaboration. And what we're talking about with an industry approach is exactly that. It's cross-practice or cross-office collaboration 
so that people are integrating their specialized knowledge in order to solve these more complex uh, sort of industry-specific issues. And so the first step that a, a, a legal marketer can take to build the case inside their firm is to say, you know, what's the potential here? So, you know, specifically, find some of the hot spots inside the firm where this is working already. You know, where is it that somebody is known to be, you know, the, the fantastic industry expert in you know, whatever it is, insurance or, or oil and gas or whatever, and find out, you know, what have they done and how have they leveraged the reputation as an industry expert in order to create high profit, high revenue, loyal clients? Guaranteed there is a you know, case study inside every firm where somebody has managed to do this. Gather that evidence, show how they've been able to expand their particular discipline, whatever services that they offer specifically themselves, and draw in others throughout the firm to bring in specialist points of view to tackle more uh, high value kinds of problems that the client's um, uh, uh, been, been seeking. And I think when you get those case studies together, Analytically, you can show how much more profitable those kinds of clients are. You know, we've run the numbers across dozens and dozens of law firms and other kinds of professional service firms. And, and absolutely, when clients are served by multiple practice groups across jurisdictions, they end up becoming more profitable, more loyal, uh, higher revenue, um, advocates for the firm, and so forth. So build the business case. Use the data that already exists inside your firm to help convince people that it's happening already in your firm and to show what the upside potential is. Do the what would you have to believe exercise. You know, what would you have to believe? How many clients would we have to um, uh, leverage in the same way in order to make this a really viable practice? So that's a, one of the first things I would do. I think um, the, the, the second practical step that marketers can take inside their firm is to build some allies. Find some of the partners who are passionate about this. You know, a lot of people um, are passionate about their domain of expertise, but there are always people inside firms that are passionate about an industry. I'm thinking of a, a lawyer, a partner in a, a global firm that I worked with, and you know, he used to joke that his doorman would sort of look at him crossways because this guy who lived in a high-rise doorman building uh, subscribed to Women's Wear Daily. I mean, it was a little strange, right? But, you know, he, he dressed like, you know, most men in the office, but he was subscribing to Women's Wear Daily. Why? Well, he served luxury goods and fashion clients, and he was passionate about that industry. He wanted to know what the gossip was and who was doing what and what the trends were and so forth. And so he subscribed to, you know, a lot of the um, publications and the kind of insider stuff that anyone in that industry would want to know about. He was passionate about the fashion and, and, and luxury markets. He would be a brilliant ally for somebody in the marketing group because he knows how to take what he's interested in, um, turn his, his passion and his interest and his hobbies um, into a real product, if you will, um, and he engages uh, lawyers from all different practice groups around the world to, to, to work in that industry with him. And if, uh, you know, if any marketing professional can find that kind of partner inside their firm, that's going to be a, a tremendous ally. So those are just two things, but you know, I've, I've gone on for quite some time. I don't know if you want me to, to keep talking because uh, I think there's lots that we can do, but those are two big steps right away.
Those are wonderful points, finding the evidence and building some allies. One thing that I also have done is to try to pilot so we don't boil the ocean. It's pick one thing and, and position it as a pilot. It seems like if you had an existing practice area that might be a little bit industry-focused to begin with but might currently be positioned as an area of law, you've mentioned hospitality or insurance. Sometimes, for example, an insurance practice might be focused on insurance regulatory law issues as opposed to the broad insurance industry? Might that be one way to approach it as well? Oh, absolutely. And again, you know, finding somebody who is open to these ideas um, and, and, and helping them understand what's the upside for them. You know, I think it's one thing to build the business case for the firm and convince firm leaders that they should get behind this initiative. But at the end of the day, uh, a law firm is made up of a whole bunch of pretty highly autonomy-seeking individuals who are professionals in their own right. And if they don't understand the what's in it for me question, they might not get on board with it. And so if you're going to go to that you know, industry group leader, you know, somebody who's um, you know, unofficially serving an industry like insurance, for example, but really approaching the industry only from one legal angle, helping them understand how much they're going to get out of it personally when they start to open up those insurance clients to a whole array of different kinds of experts is absolutely essential. You know, we have, um, we have other parts of the book that are dedicated to people just like that. You know, how do you make the case for an individual that they'll be better off by collaborating than by kind of hoarding the work themselves? And what we're able to show, again, bringing the evidence to bear, what we're able to show is that individuals who build a broader network when they are um, uh, sort of sending more work, referring more work to individuals across the firm, when they're building multidisciplinary teams, they individually are significantly better off. You know, we have a, a mini, mini case study of these two, we call them twins because they're professionally and demographically so similar to one another. And we compared them, one of whom was a uh, an individual who collaborated only with six or so other partners inside his own firm, and he kind of ran it like a hub-and-spoke model. Everything that had to happen came through him. His, uh, his quote-unquote twin, who you know, had the same tenure and the same uh, demographics and the same practice group and all sorts of things, he had a network of 30-plus people, other partners inside the firm, that he teamed up with on client service. And that guy with the bigger, broader, more robust interconnected network was more than four times more productive in terms of generating revenue. You know, in that firm, they really cared about originations. And he was the king of originations because he was able to deploy such a vast range of experts inside the clients that he served. And he got loads and loads of credit for it. Um, and I think, you know, going back to this insurance uh, uh, partner, you know, somebody like that who may be keeping the clients pretty close to the vest, uh, you know, wanting to be kind of the sole uh, uh, point of contact and kind of the gatekeeper may not appreciate how much he's actually at risk. It's not just that he's missing the upside. It's just that there may be serious downside um, coming his way if behaviors don't change. You know, what we see, again, right back to what we were talking about earlier today, the, uh, the idea that clients are starting to demand customized, industry-customized um, uh, solutions for them, it's hard for any one partner to understand what's happening across an entire industry. If, however, they've got you know, good collaboration, they're sharing market intelligence, 
they trust one another, they've established some of the um, beliefs in the, the quality of each other's work and the fact that they have good intentions and so forth. You know, once those, that network, that strong network is in place, they're able really to draw out so many more insights about an industry, and that's what's going to keep them fresh. That's what's going to keep the client coming back to them. Um, they can only uh, put up walls as defense for so long until the client starts to see through it and really doesn't appreciate that that, uh, that partner isn't putting the needs of the client first, but is rather using that client um, as kind of a personal turf war. Clients do see through that eventually, and it puts the, the, those partners who are more lone wolf players really at serious risk of losing their portfolio. It's such a counterintuitive argument and yet so compelling that the more you share, the more you will grow, and the more you keep it to yourself, the more, as you noted, you are really at risk. It's a really important part yeah, of that I'm, business case that you have shared. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, I, I often say there are people out there who, you know, for, for because they've got a really high need for control and all sorts of other things, would rather be sort of the king of a very, very, very small island than a, you know, a, a, a duke or some sort of team player of a vast nation. But, you know, who ultimately is going to survive when, you know, when there's a, you know, a plague that comes along, right? I mean, you really need that interconnection. And in today's world, the knowledge is changing so rapidly. Com the competitive set for any, any client is changing enormously. I mean, think about, you know, in any industry, there are uh, threats to the incumbent players coming not just from the, 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 the other traditional rivals, but from startups, from other companies that are now using technology to encroach and move across boundaries. These are really, um, you know, fast moving issues. And lawyers have got to be commercially astute and strategically plugged in to be able to help their clients see around corners and understand where some of those threats and opportunities are. That's what makes a great advisor. That's an excellent point. It's tell me what I don't know that's going to, that could be a risk for my company. That's what they really want to hear. Without a doubt. Well, you have, you have raised such wonderful ideas for our, our listeners to consider. Um, we are getting near the end of our time for the podcast. Any final recommendations? Well, absolutely. I would say that this is really uh, the beginning of a major movement uh, across law firms. I think we've seen um, professional services um, who have been at this industry approach for decades. You know, Goldman Sachs is heralded by clients as having a superb industry-focused go-to-market organization. My alma mater, McKinsey, I worked uh, at McKinsey for, for five years. And, you know, back in the 90s, McKinsey was really making a push to bring industry expertise to bear on the client service. And now law firms are, are really um, quickly trying to play catch up. I think any marketing professional who can help their firm get ahead of this curve is really going to be seen as incredibly valuable and incredibly forward thinking and insightful. Um, you know, certainly I, I can't sign off without making a plug for the sector leadership masterclass that we run as part of our Harvard ed executive education. You know, we are trying to bring some of the latest thinking to bear and help bring uh, marketing professionals as well as um, industry sector leaders and law firm leaders together to have the conversations, to learn some of the practical tools. 
and uh, and I would certainly invite um, any of the listeners to to look into that more. And and beyond that, I'd say you know this is an area where I am personally really passionate about. I believe that this kind of cross practice, cross office collaboration lets people thrive in a way that they bring their fullest game um, to legal service. And that's what clients need. That's what profession, the profession uh, needs. And I think that's what society needs. So my invitation would be get in touch with me if there's a way that I can help think through that as well. I'd be delighted. Well, we appreciate that offer, Heidi. And your focus on collaboration really resonates with me in terms of our own association. Legal Marketing Association is premised on that building of a community and network and collaboration. And we certainly share within our group. And this is one way that we share back to our members. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your expertise and experience with the legal marketing community. We appreciate it. Thank you. That concludes another installment of the LMA podcast. To discover all that LMA has to offer, visit LegalMarketing.org. For links to content featured in this episode, please check out the show notes. If you like the podcast and want to help others find us, we hope you'll take the time to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Thank you and have a great day.